because the mission of the church, in my opinion, is so important and so vital, and I would argue not many churches are actually interested in the mission of the church. Uh, we are many times just kind of glorified social clubs, let's be honest with that. So uh, I'm excited that we're talking about it. I'm excited for some of the feedback I've gotten from some of you um, that it's speaking to you. I hope it does, and I hope that continues on through next week as we engage with our international worker, that you will not just get to know him a little bit or just get to hear some cool facts about a different country, but you will be excited and you will be encouraged to continue in the mission God has for you. Um, That's my hope. That's my prayer. Well, last week we talked about the mission of the church. We kind of opened it up with that uh, and talking about just how critical the mission is. Uh, and, I, and I hope uh, and trust that if you're here, you've decided the mission of the church is worth it for you. Uh, honestly, I don't know why we would keep coming if we did not consider the mission of the church to be something worthwhile, something worth giving uh, into our lives into uh, because I just want to be very clear attending church does absolutely nothing for you as far as eternal security uh, eternal security or salvation or anything like that so there's really no point in coming here unless you're willing to get invested into the mission but here's the thing knowing the mission and executing it are two very different things Uh, any of you ever bought any Ikea furniture any Ikea people yeah Seeing the instructions and putting that thing together are two very different things. It might be spelled out clearly-ish, and the instructions are are there telling you how to put it together, but if you've ever put something like that together, or any furniture really, um, you know that knowing how to do it or being told how to do it and then actually executing it are two very different things. See, if executing the mission was easy, the world would be very different. Obviously, I don't think there w- we wouldn't have atheists. There wouldn't be any such thing as agnostics uh, because the mission would be easy. And so uh, I think, unfortunately, some of us are coming into church or coming into our relationship with God, and we're expecting something easy. We're expecting like, okay, God, like, I know it's like really intense, and I know there's this thing called spiritual warfare, and I don't really want to talk about that, um, but I, I know that you want a lot from me, but just what give me an easy task. It's something easy to do. Just throw something not very difficult at me because I don't really want to get that invested. And I hope that's not where you are. Uh, I hope that you're willing to say, you know what, I get, I understand uh, the mission of the church is not easy. It's not light. It's not uh, going, it's going to cost me something. I recognize that. I hope that you get that, if nothing else, from our series. So how do we execute the mission that God has given us? How do we execute the mission uh, that we talked about last week? And I just want to remind you of the mission. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So if you want to follow along in your own Bible, you're welcome to do that. just want to let you know what's from the New Living we'll be in today. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, so that's the mission, to go and make disciples. Anybody here that that was new information for, that we're supposed to go and make disciples? Most of you were here last week, so I hope you're not going to raise your hand. Uh, That means you were sleeping. 
So it's not new information for anybody. We all understand. We, we knew, you knew coming in today that the, the, what, what God wants from you is to make disciples. No, you don't have to raise your hands here. So how many of us are actively discipling at least one person right now? Oh, yeah. I know you're not raising your hands. I, I, I know that some of you are, and that's awesome. Um, but if I had to guess, I would guess at least half of us would not have raised our hand. We're not actively discipling anybody. And I've heard all the excuses, trust me. I've been a pastor long enough, not actually that long. Um, it didn't take long to hear all the excuses. Oh, well, I, can't, I just can't find anybody that wants to do that, or I can't find anybody that will disciple me, and, and, and all the different reasons we give for not discipling or not being discipled. Uh, but this is it. We understand you came in knowing. We know the mission is to make disciples. We just don't care. Many of us, at many times, we just don't care enough to actually start making disciples. See, one of the things I think, uh, I, I personally think we, we make a mistake when we separate evangelism from making disciples. I, we've some, at some point, we created two different things, evangelism and making disciples. And if you look in the scriptures, these two are not different. Uh, at some point, um, well, when I first came to know Christ, which was, oh, good grief, uh, 20, over 20 years ago now, uh, evangelism or the mission of the church, at least for the church I attended, was to make converts. That was the point. Hand out tracts, get people to pray a prayer, and then you're done. I was never told there was anything beyond that. My understanding was that was it. You get someone to pray a prayer, you get someone to make a decision, you have events at your church where you scare them, silly, and you get them to pray a prayer there, and then your job is done. And there was this separate thing like evangelism was this thing over here, and well, I mean, once someone's been in the church for a while, then we move on to discipleship, and I think that we make a mistake when we do that. I believe they should be one process with one goal Walking with people toward Jesus. It's the same before someone knows Christ and after. You're always pursuing Jesus. Whether you're leading him or her there for the first time or all the time. The goal is to get to Jesus. That's what the goal is. Whether it's evangelism or making disciples, it's the same goal. And I think that we do a disservice when we separate those two. See, the goal for our lives should be pursuing Christ. That's what we should be set on, pursuing Him above all else, despite all else, and with all of our heart and soul and mind, pursuing Christ. The methods, however, can be different before and after somebody knows Jesus. So if you're discipling someone and they came to know Jesus like 30 years ago and you still make them pray the prayer after like every time you meet them for lunch, you might be beating a dead horse there. Uh, it's the method needs to change at some point. Uh, so we're, the goal is pursuing Christ, but the method changes just like the church. Uh, one of the things the church hasn't done well is changing methods. We think, well, if you change that method, then you're just you're compromising. Uh, that's what's happening. If you change anything, you change the method, you change the way we did something, you're compromising. 
even though the message never changes and we should never compromise on the message, we do need to change methods. And the same would be true if you're discipling somebody who doesn't know Jesus, they come to know Jesus, okay, new methods. Now we change up what we're doing because now you know him, now we need to die more to ourself every day and become the, continue to become this new thing. God has created somebody new. We're new creations. See, my issue with a lot of the methods that are out there, uh, you'll experience uh, over time. Uh, one of the things you won't see me do is we won't do an evangelism training where I hand you all these pre-made books and we say, okay, this is the best evangelism method. We're going to use this one and we're going to save everybody. I don't like doing that. Um, and I think my issue with a lot of those is that uh, w- what many people call evangelism, what a lot of the systems and methods call evangelism, they focus on the same thing that the majority of sales training focuses on, closing the deal. That's what's so important to so many evangelism methods is closing the deal. The problem is, now I want to get a good estimation here, how many of you think you would make a great car salesman? Not a single person, really. I think I actually would be pretty decent at it, so I'm raising my hand because I like to convince people when I get passionate about something, now I couldn't be, I could be a good Ford car salesman, all right? Chevy, not so much, because I don't believe in that garbage. Uh, I'm just kidding, okay? Don't stone me, all right? I'm just messing around here. Uh, not many of you, literally nobody, if you're watching online, nobody raised their hand, so nobody here thinks they would make a good car salesman. That's why you haven't resonated with a lot of the evangelism methods out there, because they push you to close the deal. And honestly, how many of you would be comfortable sharing why you love your car? No? Okay, four people like their car. Rest of you are apparently driving cars you hate. Uh, Most of you would be okay, like, yeah, I really like this car. I like this feature. I like this thing, which is the majority of what you're doing as a car salesman. The reason you don't think you'd make a good car salesman is because you don't like closing the deal. You don't like pressuring somebody into making a decision. I'm okay pressuring people. I really am. I can be very pushy. Many of you feel anxiety about evangelism because you're not good at pushing people to, to that point. You're not good at, at realizing that they're, they're in a moment where they have to make a decision and you push them. They say, okay, make the decision. This is the right thing for you. And convincing them um, that this is the right thing for you. This is where I believe many of the evangelism trainings do a disservice to people. So what does the Word of God say about uh, this idea that we all have to be deal closers? We all have to be people that can push somebody to close the deal. Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Jump down to verse 18. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. So we each have different roles. We each have different uh, skills and abilities. We each are gifted differently by the Holy Spirit, and yet... In my opinion, many evangelism trainings say, okay, I understand that you're all different, you're all unique, which is great, but you're all going to do this. This is what you have to do. Do it this way, use this method, 
close the deal, be the same thing, all of you. And I just don't agree with that. I don't think that speaks to the uniqueness God has created here. And uh, I don't think that leans into the gifts that God has given each and every one of us. I believe that God has gifted us all in different ways. Um, that's the beautiful thing. One of the things I was excited about coming here to work, to, to serve as your pastor, was I am so different from the majority of you. You all are very caring, compassionate, and kind, and those words have never been used for me. Uh, I am pushy. I can be very forceful. Uh, I like to get things done much more than I am good at caring well for the individual. I'm better at caring for the whole. Um, So uh, I love that I was coming into that and that I was serving with so many loving, caring, compassionate people. Which is why I don't understand why so many evangelism trainings try to make everyone be the same. The closer. You gotta be the closer. I don't know if you ever watched the show. I know I I never did. Uh, You gotta be the closer. That's what you have to do. If you can't push somebody to make that decision, then you're just not doing evangelism right. If we each fulfill the roles that God has given us in the process, I believe it would be a far more effective thing. I think we would be more effective as a body, as a family, if we each just acknowledge the roles that God has given us. Paul encourages the Corinthian church in this exact idea, 1 Corinthians 3, 7 to 9. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field, you are God's building. So you're getting here. Even Paul is acknowledging there are different roles in this process, and you shouldn't be concerned with always having the most glorious role, which many times is that closer person, that that harvester that gets to come uh, at the end of the whole process and be the person who's there when they lead that person to Christ, and and they get to put another notch on their belt, or they they get to put another star in the front of their Bible. I don't know what people do when they do that, so... uh, but that's, you know, that's the glorious part, the person who gets to be there when they pray that prayer, or, um, that thing that they do. And for many of us, we feel anxiety or we feel guilt because we're not part of that. We're not that person. We've never been that part of the process. Some of you, a few times here and there, maybe you've been a part of that process but you're just not into that part of it, of that that closer, that pushing for the decision. And you might feel anxious. Now, I'm just, uh, I had, we had this, so this whole sermon's coming out of a conversation we have with the elders. As we began to talk about this and and encourage one another, we realized, wow, we're very different here. And uh, so I'm just gonna guess that you, like some of our elders, uh, have felt anxious and defeated because you've never closed the deal with someone. You've never been there for that moment. You've never pushed somebody. And maybe you've talked with somebody, you've worked with somebody, you've loved somebody well as a believer, and you've been a great Christian influence, and then your friend leads them to Christ. And you're like, come on, man. I did all the work there. And maybe you felt defeated or you felt bad about that. You have some anxiety about it because when I, when I talk and I, and, I, and I encourage you to lead people toward Jesus, you feel like, wow, I've never closed the deal. The point isn't to close the deal. That's what I want us to understand this morning. The point is relationship that leads toward Jesus. 
That's the point. Look at the Gospels. Never once does Paul say, well, and, and then I preached, and then I made them all pray the prayer, and 3,000 people prayed the prayer. Now, if you didn't know, the pray the prayer thing started in 1835. Uh, there was the beginnings of the pray the prayer thing. So, did, so nobody came to know Jesus before 1835, right? No. There was never this pray the prayer thing before that. It actually was called the sinner's seat was the first uh, uh, iteration of the sinner's prayer. Um, uh, an evangelist came up with this as just kind of a decision point because before that, and even in the Gospels, the decision moment was what? Nobody knows. I didn't even know. So I just want to see if anybody were smarter than me. Baptism. That's what it was. They were saved and then baptized. You read in the scripture all the time. That was their decision moment, is they got baptized. They said, you know what? I'm Jesus's. I'm going to die to self, which is what baptism represents, and then raised to life. That's what baptism represents. And that was their decision moment. Now we separate the two. There's a decision moment, and some of you still haven't been baptized after you came to know Jesus, Uh, which you can talk to me about that. We'll get you set up. But that was what people did before that. They, they made a conscious decision. They made a declaration of following Jesus, but still it was about joining the community, getting together with the believers and walking toward Jesus. That's what it's always been about. The point isn't to close the deal. So first, I just want to release you from the guilt of not being a closer. If nothing else you get from this morning, I want you to be released from the guilt of feeling like you have to be a closer. That in order to engage in evangelism, you have to be comfortable pushing somebody to make a decision that they might not be ready to make. Now, I, I just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that some of you have some of that baggage. I know I did for years. Uh, I find it easy to push people into a, into a decision, but I thought, man, I'm just acknowledging, I'm realizing some of these people aren't at that point. They're not ready to make a decision. And I would guess... I may have come to know Christ about, I don't know, six months to a year before I actually did, except there was this one person in the church at every opportunity he got, he cornered me and tried to force me to pray a prayer. And I am stubborn as they come. And so I said, you know what? If this guy's going to push me, this is definitely something I'm never doing. And so I kept refusing. And it wasn't until somebody in relationship with me, led me to Jesus and showed me what a life lived for Jesus actually looked like. So do not feel bad for being a detrimental part of the process and pushing people to make a decision that they weren't ready to make. Now that's one side of it. What I do want to talk about this morning are some of the roles that I see people fulfilling in this process of making disciples. And hopefully my goal this morning is to help you understand what the different roles are and to release you to do what you've been called to do, to play the part and the role that God has given you as somebody who's making disciples of all the nations, okay? So many times in Scripture, Jesus uses the analogy of planting. You know that if you've read the, the Bible, especially the New Testament, um, Jesus uses planting very often as an analogy to explain the process of people believing and walking in their faith. So as we discuss the different roles um, that you might play in the process of someone, to come, someone coming to know Christ, we're going to use the same analogy this morning. 
One of the first steps in planting, if you are a gardener, I am not, so I had to do some research to make sure I was right on some of the terms I'm using. Uh, but one of the first steps in planting, especially if you're planting in a larger field, uh, and, and in someone's journey of faith uh, in Christ, is the soil being cultivated. You have to make sure the soil is cultivated. Now, uh, that's very important, especially uh, in PA where everything freezes to a solid rock. Um, so if you want to plant anything, you've got to get one of those tillers and you've got to break up the ground and you've got to do some stuff. You've got to maybe fertilize the soil and get it ready to have a good uh, crop. So the first role we're going to talk about this morning is soil cultivators. I believe this role serves two purposes. First, serving as a positive Christian influence in people's lives, but also deconstructing worldviews. Now, that second term, most of you probably don't know, you're not familiar with, and I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, write that one down and learn more about it. Deconstructing worldviews is so important today. Lost people need to rub shoulders with authentic believers who are on mission. Don't forget that last part, because you might... Like many people say, well, I rub shoulders with a lot of people, but I've met many believers who just think that's enough because they're not on mission. They're not constantly thinking about it, not constantly asking God, give me some opportunities. As I walk into work today, give me an opportunity to talk about you. Give me an opportunity to be a positive influence in someone's life today. That's somebody that's on mission. If you don't have that as part of your daily process, let me encourage you to do that. Uh, back when I worked not in church, uh, that became one of the best parts of my day was before I walked into work, uh, actually, it actually started making me much earlier to work because uh, usually I'm that person that flies in with like four seconds to spare. Uh, and I started showing up really early and just spending some time in my car praying, okay, God, where are the opportunities going to be today? Give me opportunities. And I began to look forward to a job I really didn't like, but I began to look forward to it more because I was looking for those opportunities daily. See, this can be done with literally anyone we interact with. This doesn't, you don't have to ask God to give you these long, drawn-out relationships. It could just be a, a small contact, a, a little bit of contact in a day. See, Mark 16, 15 says, And then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. This isn't just people you have a strong and long-term relationship with. This can be just a very simple thing. Now, by very simple thing and short conversation, I don't mean, hey, I just want to let you know you're going to hell. Uh, not the best way, okay? Uh, maybe at one point, some people use that, and it would, maybe it worked for somebody, I don't know. Uh, but that kind and gentle way that Jesus approached people with is, I think, how we should do it. We should live lives which constantly portray the gospel naturally, I don't know if you've been present in a situation where you could just tell somebody was forcing it. Somebody was forcing a Jesus moment into a conversation or in, into, a, a, into a moment. And it's like, ah, oh, man, come on, what are you doing? Um, this is really, you made this really, really awkward. And now awkward's not always bad. But when we try to force it, because again, well, we're supposed to be the closer. So we try to force a moment to happen and, and make someone pray. Um, it can be a little bit difficult. You know, uh, I've probably mentioned it before. One of the things I like to do, and I would encourage you, it's just a small way to, to do it. I'm pushy, so it's easier for me. But uh, when we go to a restaurant, it's just very quick, you know, we're, once the waitress has taken all of our order just to say, or our waiter, to say, hey, we're going to pray for our meal. Is, uh, I just want to know if there's anything we can pray for for you. And 
leave it at that. It's a lot of people say no. It's like, okay, that's fine. But sometimes you'll get some cool answers. Uh, however you want to do it. That, now, that's just one tiny little way. It's something that we do. Um, I encourage you to do something like that. Just think of small creative ways to be a positive influence in someone's life. 1 Peter three fifteen to 16. It says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Now, I know one of the fears is if you come out as a Christian, someone's going to ask you some deep question that you don't know the answer to. Um, as, if some, as if people walk around just waiting to ask like, deep theological questions because um, that happens all the time. Uh, what I think this scripture is saying is be ready to explain your story. Be ready to share your story, your walk with Jesus, how Jesus got your heart. Because honestly, at the end of the day, all the other stuff, it's just stuff. Someone might ask a question, you know, well, if, if, there's, if God is supposed to be a good God and he's all-powerful, why, why is there evil in the world? I don't know. What I do know is this, and you share a little bit of your story. That's an easy answer to that question. You don't have to have all the answers, and you don't, shouldn't try to have all the answers either. If you've never had somebody ask about your faith, whether it's a coworker, a neighbor, or somebody who doesn't know Jesus, if no one's ever asked you, like, what, what is it with you? And, like, in a good way. What is it with you? What, what's different about you? I would guess that you're probably working too hard to hide it. I've known a lot of Christians who work really, really hard to hide the fact that they're Christians. And I don't understand it because that's not living on mission. There are many times in many environments where naturally we can be a great witness to those around us and we just simply don't take them. Instead, we try to hide it. Uh, the enemy convinces us and convinces us that we should be ashamed of it or it's not appropriate. But if someone asks you a question, you can very simply just answer their question. You don't have to be forceful about it. You don't have to be weird about it. You don't have to try to convert them or get them to drink some Kool-Aid. Um, you just need to talk to them. If somebody asks you something that the natural answer would be something about Jesus, then you can talk about that. If somebody at work asks you a question and you're not allowed to talk about faith at work, but they ask you a question, answer their question. Now, I heard this encouragement last year, and it's kind of really stuck with me. Um, but the person encouraged, uh, was encouraging a group of people. They said, talk to everybody like they're a believer. Meaning, talk to them like you would talk to anybody at church. Somebody says, hey, you get to work on Monday. How was your weekend? Oh, I was pretty good. Actually, uh, church was great. Uh, we had a, had a great time at church. Afterward, we went out to lunch with a couple I didn't know, and um, it was just a good weekend. You're not being preachy. You're not trying to convert people in the middle of your work space, but they ask you a question, you answer their question. I would encourage you, don't compartmentalize. That's what a lot of us do. We compartmentalize. This is where we're a Christian. This is where we talk about Jesus. And when we leave this building, we kind of leave that here. And we come back to it next week. Or if we see somebody from church out in public, as long as we're not being too loud about it, we can talk about Jesus together. Uh, and, and, and try not to, you know, be very loud in the grocery store talking about Jesus. You know, that's, that's kind of what we do. And I would encourage you to stop doing that. Stop compartmentalizing. Be excited about your walk with Jesus. You see someone in the grocery store, you want to talk to them about Jesus, talk to them about what God's doing in your life, do it. Let people overhear you. Let people hear you being excited about Jesus. Where's the bad side to that? 
That's a very easy, simple way that we can do something like that. You're out at a restaurant, maybe you grab lunch with somebody you don't know, or you, you go to dinner with a couple here in the church you don't know, hint, hint, uh, and you pray before your meal. Don't be so, like, pray like mice, you know, like leaning over the table, like, we're gonna pray really quiet so people don't hear us, because this is weird that we're praying in public. You, know, you don't have to be weird and loud. I knew a guy that used to do this, yeah, when he would pray at his meal, and it's like, dude, you just need to put those arms down and just chill, like, it's a little weird, man, uh, You don't have to be weird about it. Just be you. That's what I want to encourage you to do. Be who God's created you to be everywhere you go. And be comfortable being a Christian out in public. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. I just want to stop there. Make the most of every opportunity. It doesn't get much clearer than that. If you open your eyes, you will see there are so many opportunities throughout your day. When I began to pray that, when in the place that I worked, all of a sudden, all these opportunities started to open up. Now, I'm sure they were there before, but now I was paying attention. Now I was looking for those opportunities. Verse 6, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. This is what we're talking about. As you converse with people, let your conversation be attractive. Let it be gracious as you talk. Like that, if somebody asks you a question and the answer has something to do with your faith or your life with Jesus, then answer them, just like you would answer anybody else in the church. And just let it it at that. Let them ask questions. You don't have to force it on people. And I know for most of you, that's a relief, that you don't have to try to force your faith on people. If you live out your faith, then it will be attractive. I know for me, that's how I came to know Jesus. I saw somebody whose faith was attractive. Many of you who came to know Jesus later in life, not as like a five or six-year-old, what was the case? You saw somebody whose faith was attractive. You wanted what they had. Be that for somebody else. That's what being a soil cultivator is all about. Getting that ground ready by being an attractive, and now I don't mean physically attractive or that put me out, uh, being attractive as a believer, having your faith be attractive and gracious so that people say, man, I don't know, that person just got some joy, they just got something about them, they got just this air, this, this glow about them, and I, I don't know, I just, I want to know more about it. Let them pursue you with questions about your faith doesn't have to be pushy or self-righteous. As we share with people, we don't have to be like, well, you know, I go to Dubois Alliance Church. Just so you know, your membership status here is not a gold card to anything. Uh, it's nothing special um, that we can brag about and be self-righteous about. Just talk to them like you would anybody else. We also need to make sure that we're not living hypocritical lives. Ephesians 4.29 it says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, for some of you, this is maybe step one, all right? Uh, it's cleaning up your acts outside of church. You've completely compartmentalized, and you're uh, a work person uh, at work, and then you're a family person at, at home, and then you're a church person when you're at church. Break down the walls and begin to live the same way everywhere you go. And so some of us need to clean up our language, clean up uh, some of the stuff that we do in order to be a good witness. Uh, sometimes, for some of us, maybe uh, people at work don't know we're a Christian because we're really working hard to try to make sure they don't know we're a Christian because of the way we act at work. And so we need to fix that and get that changed up. 
If we're living lives that please God and always have the mission in mind, then we can be excellent soil cultivators. But part of cultivating the soil is breaking up the hard ground. That's a really important part to it. And this is what I call deconstructing worldviews. Okay, there's a number of really good books out there on that um, that cover this a lot better than I'm going to cover it this morning for the sake of time. So I encourage you, if you're really interested in reaching especially the newer generations, uh, anybody 40, 45, and younger, then you really need to pay attention to deconstructing worldviews. Have you ever listened to somebody... uh, Listen to someone tell you about their view of God or their spirituality, and it sounds like something out of a poorly written sci-fi novel. I don't know if you've had that experience. I've had it often. Somebody hears I'm a pastor, like, oh, you're a pastor. Let me tell you about my weird view of God. And they tell me about this strange stuff that's like, you know, you, you only read, I've, I don't know. Some of the stories I've heard are just absolutely crazy. A huge part of cultivating the soil in someone's life is helping them understand that their view of God is faulty. And that's really important because if you didn't realize the people that are 30, definitely 30 and and under, um, that might extend beyond that, but at least 30 and under, they did not grow up in a biblical worldview like many of you did. They did not grow up with that. And so when you begin to say, well, the Bible says, they say, well, who cares what the Bible says? That's a flawed book written by man. It's about rape and it's about murder. I've heard that. So you can't start there. You've got to deconstruct a worldview. We used to be able to evangelize based on the premise that we all grew up in a Christian worldview. That is not true for everybody anymore. For most people, the vast majority, even believers, they didn't grow up in a Christian worldview. I didn't grow up with a Christian worldview. And so you have to understand, to talk to someone, you think you're on the same level ground, and you're not. And we have to understand that they've built this thing full of garbage that they stand on, and that's where they're coming from. And we have to work that stuff away. We have to deal with some of that stuff before we can talk to them. Paul demonstrated this really well in Athens. This isn't just a new, uh, you know, 2020, uh, 2021 thing. Uh, so just to give you a background of the story before we jump into it, uh, Paul comes into Athens. He comes into the city, and as he's coming in, he sees all these strange idols um, lined up everywhere. And, he, and so he uses them to begin to teach about Christ. He sees these idols, and we pick up the story in Acts chapter 17, verses 19 to 26. Then they took him, meaning Paul, to the high council of the city, Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. I just, I just want to pause there real quick first. It says they sat around talking about all the new ideas. Have you ever heard, I don't know if you've ever watched TV, like, especially like a talk show or something like that, and someone explained like their weird spiritual view and what what do they always say oh that's 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 cool it's so they're so accepting of anything other than christianity uh someone says they're a christian you know some of those actors or athletes or somebody who's a christian they always attack them but if you've got some weird sci-fi view of god oh that's really cool that's great 
and that's, so what Paul was dealing with is we kind of are dealing with it now. So, verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. Notice this. He doesn't attack them. He doesn't say, well, you're really messed up. Or you need to get an idea of who God is. You need to respect the Bible. How dare you do that? Stop cursing. Stop smoking. Stop getting tattoos. Stop this, that, or the other thing. He doesn't attack them. What does he do? He builds them up first with a gracious and encouraging talk. He says, hey, I noticed you're very religious, which they're going to respond to very well because they do feel very religious. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. Now, you can keep reading. Paul goes on a, a pretty cool sermon here. But notice how he does this. He uses some stuff from their current religious standpoint, and he begins to whittle away their understanding that there are many gods. He uses what they already agree with. He finds common ground by understanding them and uses that to completely deconstruct their worldview, that there are many gods and that they, they, you know, all, all that's important is a new idea or a new god to worship. He says, listen, I'm going to use this, and he says there's one god. And he's very clear on the message. But his method is so different from the way that he engages other people. And we just need to, and I think we, we can really learn from that, uh, the way that Paul does this. We should take opportunities to ask good questions. This is, if there's one evangelism method that I throw out there at any time I teach on evangelism, it's ask good questions. It breaks down walls even if they're going to give you their weird sci-fi view of God. Ask good questions. Continue to ask questions. Has anybody, have you ever been in a situation where you really thought you understood or knew something, and the more someone asks questions, the more you realize, I have no idea what I'm talking about? I don't know if this ever happened to you in school when your teacher's like, I don't think they actually read that book, and they keep asking you the questions about the character, and that becomes really clear you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. That's one way to deconstruct worldviews. Actually take an interest. Don't just wait for your turn to speak, your turn to correct them, your turn to, to set them straight. Ask good questions. As they explain their weird views or they explain their idea of God, ask more questions that unveil the shaky ground they're on. It's one thing to tell somebody that their worldviews are are. are crazy and that they're out of whack and that they're they're completely false it's another thing to help guide them to where they realize it and they begin to understand and they recognize man i'm not on solid ground here i'm on shaky ground remember first peter three sixteen. but do this in a gentle and respectful way keep your conscience clear then if people speak against you they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to christ so we should make the most of every opportunity to be a positive Christian influence in people's lives and deconstruct faulty worldviews. Now, if you're following along, we spent a lot of time on that first one because I believe that's where most people spend the majority of their 
journey to Jesus is experiencing positive Christian influences, seeing Christ in you, being drawn to Christ by seeing the attractive way in which you live, by realizing that Christianity is not the thing portrayed in movies and on TV and in the media, that it's not all of that garbage, but that it's real, authentic, and that it's something to be desired. People will spend years and years in this stage, and now we move on to other ones. Once the soil is cultivated, now, and I I do want to give my little disclaimer, these can all happen in a day, in a moment, or they can happen over decades, okay? So I'm not saying that they even have to happen in this order, Um, but this is the way you plant things, and this is the analogy we're using. So once the soil is cultivated, it is ready for the seeds to be planted. This role would obviously be called seed planters. Seed planters take opportunities to ask kingdom questions and give Christian advice, to do this, we need to ask God for boldness to be, to, uh, to be more forward with our faith. Now, this is like the next step to being a soil cultivator is when people start coming to ask you questions. They start coming to you when their uncle's sick or when their child's you know, in the hospital and they say, hey, uh, I just know that you, you, know, you go to church and I, know that I, I just know a little bit about this. Can you pray for my kid? If you've never had those moments, man, those are awesome. When somebody has seen Christ in you, and it's to the point where they respect it enough that when they're in a crisis moment, they come to you. That's when you know the soil has been cultivated and the seed is being planted now. This is where the seed begins to get planted in people's hearts and minds. When they begin to ask you, Luke 12, 8, says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. When you're given these moments, acknowledge God. Give him the credit. Make sure he's the one that gets the glory, not you, because it's very easy to say, well, look at me. I'm so important. They came to me and nobody else. I'm the one they came to at work to pray for them. Say, thank you, God. You're the one that's doing this. And when you pray, if they ask you to pray for them or something like that, say, hey, I'm going to pray, but I'm just going to let you know that God, God's the one that's going to do something, not me. I don't have any power. How many times in the scripture do you see something like that? You see Joseph, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all these guys, when they're faced with it, they say, listen, it has nothing to do with us. It's all him. And they're very good at planting seeds in people's lives. We should be willing to engage people in daily life, struggles, and pain with a clear Christian influence. Not a foggy or a distant or an accidental Christian influence, a clear Christian influence. Seed planters take opportunities to tell the gospel in opportune moments. This is, at this point, you're realizing this person is asking for more. They're ready for more than just a good Christian influence. And you begin to engage them with the story of the gospel, with, with the person of Jesus. Ephesians five fifteen to 16. says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. This will require discernment and boldness to do this because I guarantee you the enemy will give you a thousand reasons why not to in that moment when they come to you to be a good Christian influence here and to plant that seed of faith in them. And it can only be obtained by desperate dependence upon the Holy Spirit. 
if we're not willing to engage the Holy Spirit in this process, it's not going to come to anything anyhow. And so this is really where we need to be desperately dependent upon the Holy Spirit that he would, I don't know if you've ever had those moments where someone asks you a question and the Holy Spirit's like, they're ready. This is it. Be ready. Give the testimony. And you feel that. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the moment. God's using me right here. Now you can ruin that moment by feeling like you have to be the closer and you share a little bit of the gospel and you say, are you ready to pray the prayer now? Don't be that person. If God leads you toward that, great. But don't feel like you have to rush somebody into something that God's doing with them. God's got them on a journey. And he may just want you to play your little part in that. 2 Timothy 1, 7 to 8. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Always be ready. Never be ashamed. And I, again, can pretty much guarantee you when you have this opportunity, the enemy will hit you with shame and embarrassment, strong, to keep you from doing what God wants you to do and ask God to make you bold. That's a great prayer is to begin to pray, God, make me bold for in those moments when you give me that opportunity that I would use it the way you want me to. If we're ashamed of God, we really need to ask ourselves just how authentic and deep our relationship with him is. Or, and, or say, and we need to learn how to pray for boldness. We need to learn not just in that moment, but as a regular part of our prayer life to ask God, I, I trust because I'm asking for opportunities that you're going to put me in opportunities and I want to be ready. And I don't want to go too far. It says power, love, and what? Self-discipline. I want to be disciplined so in that moment when you give me that opportunity, I will use that opportunity perfectly. I won't push too little. I won't be too timid, but I also won't push too hard. I'll be exactly what you want me to be in that moment. When you're engaged in the seed planting role, two things are key. Intentionality and Holy Spirit dependency. That's the name of the game as a, as a seed planner, is being intentional with every opportunity God gives you, but being completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Plants need to be watered as they mature into a full-fledged plant. We know that. Those engaged in this role are the waterers. And remember what Paul said in the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 3, 7 and 9. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. See, my understanding of this role of someone who is a waterer discerns that God has begun a work in someone and continues to fan that flame of faith in somebody that God is working on. This goes beyond, this is acknowledging, wow, somebody's already done some work here. This person's got a seed of faith in them. They, they, they already are starting to talk a little bit of the talk. They, it sounds like maybe they almost kind of know Jesus, but you can tell they're just not quite there yet. They're interested. They're, they're on that way. They're on that journey. What they need is they, they need that watering to happen. Again, all of this is part of the discipleship process. As Paul mentions this, as we all engage in the work that God has for us, God makes the seed grow. Understand that. As God is doing something in someone's life, we cannot force it. Don't feel guilty for not forcing something. 
God is the one that makes the seed grow. The last role, once the seed has fully matured into a plant, it needs harvested, obviously. Those engaged in this role are the harvesters. They're the ones that are comfortable leading someone to make a decision, of being able to ask that question, be able to say, you know what? I feel like this person's there. They, maybe they just need that little bump. They just need that little encouragement to make that decision. If this is done right, there comes a time where God is weighing heavy on someone to decide between following him and walking away and saying this, it's just not worth it. Now, many of you that, again, if you acknowledge your salvation coming a little bit of a later time, you remember these, this moment. You remember being faced with like, well, I've got to do something with this information. <sighs> I can't just leave it alone. I've got to either make a decision, make a commitment, or I just need to distance myself and walk away from all this. And some of you, some of us, you maybe made that decision to walk away once or twice or three times, and then finally, God brought you in again. You said, all right, God, fine, I give in. And it's those people that are willing to say, all right, I can tell something's going on here, make a decision. Jesus even says, Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 to 38, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. The harvest is plentiful. Are we willing to do the work that's needed? God needs more workers. Uh, The town of Dubois is not lacking for lost people, but we need to engage them. And I did lie. There is one uh, one more role in all of this. Have any of you ever tried to plant a garden and it got demolished by animals? Yeah? Okay. I, I have not, because I don't plant gardens. Uh, so, because everything in there is not meat, so you can't grow meat yet. One day, maybe. If you're smart, what did you do? Stop building a garden. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you built a fence. That's what you did. You built something to keep out the pests that you don't want in there. The last role that we're trying to talk about this morning is so important, yet so overlooked, and it's what I call the fence builders. This role is also maybe a more churchy term for you, intercessory prayers. Those who are engaged on the prayer end of this whole process, praying to keep the influence of the enemy out of the process and away from the individual that God is working on. So the soil can be cultivated, the seed can be planted, the seed can be watered, and the harvest can happen. That's where the intercessory prayers come in strong. And we absolutely, desperately need the, that part of it. And maybe for you, that's your favorite part of this entire role. And you're able to acknowledge, you know what? This is what God's called me to. Now, it doesn't excuse you from any of the other processes. God may call you to any one of them at any time. But maybe you recognize this is, this is what God's called me to. And I know some of you are that way. You may struggle. Maybe if you're not, this isn't your, you know, Uh, bread and butter here. You may struggle with exactly how to pray for people on their journey of faith. Give you two. Romans 8.26 says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. If we're engaged in a relationship and we're engaged in prayer and we're passionate about seeing people come to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes care of it. We don't have to have the right words. We don't have to have the right terminologies. We don't have to have, you know, the perfect spoken theology. We just need to be passionate and seek God and be Holy Spirit dependent upon him. See, and I will give you one good prayer. It's found in Acts chapter 26, verse 18. To open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God 
Then they will receive forgiveness for, sin, for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. That's a good prayer. If you, if you want one to go off of, that's a good one to pray for people who are on that journey of faith. Now, again, I understand that some of you have probably avoided evangelism because you were apprehensive about having to be that harvester, having to be the closer, having to, to force someone to make that decision. I hope this can help. I hope today has helped alleviate some of that anxiety of having to, do, uh, of having to be who you aren't for the kingdom. Some of you probably have not engaged in this process because you knew that you weren't the last role. You knew that you weren't comfortable with pushing people, and so you just backed off away from it completely. And so hopefully the anxiety's gone, and you can engage in the role that God has called you to. Notice what all of these roles had in common, however. None of them hid the fact they were Christians. Every one of them is bold in their proclamation of their love for Jesus. You are not engaged in this process if you are the undercover, quiet Christian who nobody even knows is a Christian. That's not being on mission. To be bold about that. And again, I have not always worked in church. I've heard often as the excuse, well, I can't be open about my faith at work. Be creative. Stop making excuses and look for reasons. That's my encouragement to you. And it might seem crass or a little bit uh, un concerning about your situations, but I've lived it. I've been told by my boss, stop talking about Jesus. And I said, people ask me questions, I'm going to talk. I'm going to answer their questions. I'm not going to lie to them or avoid the answer. If people ask me, I'm going to talk to them about it. Never been fired yet uh, from a job for talking about Jesus. Hopefully I don't get fired from this one for talking about Jesus. Uh, That'd be weird. And you might think, oh, it's easy for you, pastor. You can talk about Jesus all the time. I used to be a personal trainer. I used to work in sales in multiple different places. And my encouragement to you is stop worrying so much about your job and worry more about Jesus. Be creative with the way that you do it. We send people from the Christian Missionary Alliance into countries where if they find out they're a Christian, they get killed. And yet they still make converts and disciples because they're creative. And if they can do it in a country where they're going to die, I'm pretty sure we can figure it out here in a job where, worst case scenario, we get reprimanded or fired. Jesus needs to be more important. And it doesn't mean that you start walking around saying, everybody's going to hell here. Just want to let you all know, Pastor said I can do this. I did not. I'm saying be creative. Be wise. Ask for opportunities and engage those opportunities when God gives them to you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we're all on this journey together. And God, I I thank you that you're releasing people from the anxiety, from Uh, the guilt of not being someone they're not. And for too long, uh, many of these evangelism trainings and things inadvertently, I believe, taught people they all had to be the same way. And so, Lord, I pray that you would release many of us into the roles you've called us to, that you would release their giftings to be beautiful messengers of your gospel, God, I pray that you would give, them, give each and every one of us boldness as we engage those in our community, engage those anywhere we go, that we would engage people with the gospel. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us to have just the right things to say, that we would have the boldness needed because of the Holy Spirit. We would have the discernment needed to know where somebody is on their journey, and you would use us, even if it's one out of a thousand steps in someone's process, to know we were used for that one step. What a glorious thing it is. 
And I pray that we would stop judging uh, our evangelism uh, acuity based on whether or not we've forced someone to pray a bunch of prayers. But God, would you make us, help us to feel comfortable where you've put us, to be that part of the body that you've called us to be. And we would, as one body, take back our community for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week and be on mission.